Trials and tribulations, life can get rough. And through the storm, we'll make it. Just put your trust in Him. No matter what you're going through, I know that I'll never leave you. You feel that you can't take no more. You may think you've seen it all. Thank you for choosing the Get Happy with Jay podcast. Before I get into the formal introduction of this week's episode, I want to take the time to sincerely thank everyone who took the time to nominate the show for a podcast award. Nomination reviews are going on now, and we'll find out later this month if we made the final cut. It's out of our hands now, but just know that no matter what happens, I feel so blessed to have had so many of you take the time to go through that nomination process. It means that we're doing something right and that you appreciate the encouragement and knowledge that we try to bring to you each and every week. So thanks again from the bottom of my heart. Our discussion today is all about race. I'm pleased to have a great panel for our chat. We'll not magically solve the insidious problem of racism, but we will have an open and honest conversation, which is what I encourage all of you listeners to have whenever you get the chance. And especially with someone who doesn't look like you or better yet, doesn't think or even believe as you do. My guests today come from different ethnic backgrounds and bring unique experiences from having lived in their own skin. Please welcome returning guests Michael Hurt and Ruben Ramirez and first time happy chatter Alex Larson. I could begin the show with a lame joke that goes something like a white dude, a Mexican, and a black dude walking a bar. <laughs> but of course I won't. <laughs> so you may ask what in the world does racism and race relations have to do with being happy? And to that, I say a lot. I can't speak for these gentlemen. You'll hear from them in their own words. But when I watch the news or get on social media and be constantly bombarded with stories of unarmed black men being gunned down by the police, and now the sick trend of police being called on black people for just existing, it's no wonder how we can disturb one's inner peace and hinder the happiness journey. Now let's begin our conversation. I gave a brief introduction, but I'll allow all these gentlemen and hey I'm the only woman in the room and I personally love being the queen in the house so I mean even queen, if there was a hundred women in here you oh, still yeah, be queen would, thank you, you know that's true so. too but I'll let you guys also kind of give a brief introduction um, and when you introduce yourselves kind of also tell us one my first question I guess for everyone is going to be at what age did you realize that you are the race that you are and that your skin color was different than maybe your friends or your neighbors. And how did you feel about that when you first realized the difference? Uh, I guess I'll begin. Uh, my name is Alex Larson. How's it going? I'll start with that first question because I think um, it's a difficult one to answer, especially with someone who looks like me, the white guy in the room. Um, I really still haven't. I still haven't gotten to the point where I've accepted myself as the white guy in the room. I feel a lot of the jobs that I've had in my life and some of the things that I've done have been around community and around populations. And I grew up in a really, really small farming community where there were not a lot of diversity, where there was not a lot of people of color, where there was not a lot of thinking outside of the box. And yet 
based on how I was raised um, and the grandmother that I have, she definitely instilled in me the opportunity to learn about people before judging and just looking at that book outside of its cover. Um, so I was probably an anomaly growing up in the small town that I grew up in. But even to this day, being a man in my 40s, um, I'd like to think that I lead by example by never looking beyond you know the outside and going, that's absolutely who this person is just based on who they are. Um, in addition to that, I'm a college-educated man. Um, I'm well-traveled. I've done a lot of things. Uh, for about 12 years of my life, I was a professional wrestler. I think that that also um, leads to to learning the diversity of a locker room. And, and though wrestling is heavily built on stereotypes and hating someone by how they look or how they talk and what they do, in the locker room we're all brothers because in the end we had to take care of each other. So a lot of my livelihood was that. Working with at-risk youth um, predominantly. I was a psychology major in college with a minor in physical education. And so it wasn't about saving someone or helping someone that was different from me. It was about making a better world for everybody who existed who was like me and not like me. So that's my story. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Ruben Ramirez, and I am uh, the Latino in the room. And, uh, yeah, just to, like, <clears throat> just to, like, go around. Yeah, honestly, I realized I was, I was Latino and a little different at a young age, um, at the age of five. I still recall, yeah, this sounds crazy, but I still recall somebody uh, mocking my mother's broken uh, broken English. And to the, since that day, I just realized how, you know, I, I'm, I'm Hispanic. I'm Mexican. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I... That's just how it is, and I'm different. And for someone to mock my mother for broken English, and you know, for my mother even attempting to speak English, because you know she is from you know the motherland of Mexico, and and to think like that there's people out there that think that just because someone's attempting a different language and slowly learning and surely, and for them to mock it, you know, I, I from then on I, I spoke Spanish with my mom as much because she tried to conform to me. Because, you know, I was I was a little kid, obviously, you know what I'm saying? So she tried to conform to me and speak English as much as she could. So, you know what? I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that to my mom. I'm going to learn I'm gonna learn Spanish first, you know what I'm saying, and do my thing and just speak Spanish as much as I can. And uh, slowly but surely, though, my mother learned on her own. She started working around a lot, so did my dad. And, you know, after a while, they, they speak just as well as anybody around here that I know. And, and at this age, uh, I think it's important to know, like, what, what your ethnicity is. And you got to be prideful of that because... It, culture is a beautiful thing regardless of whatever you, whatever culture that you're a part of it's a beautiful thing it's a whole family you know because at the end of the day right now my location in Pekin there's not enough his, Hispanic <laughs> people over there so whenever I have the chance to even speak Spanish to somebody oh I take it in a heartbeat <laughs> you know what I mean because it, it's just connecting with them in a different form of way and especially around this time where a lot of the people from down south come up here north for agriculture and for doing the tasseling and whatnot, you see a lot of them around here during this time, especially in Pekin, oddly enough. And, you know, just having someone of your own culture speak Spanish with you, helping them out, mm -hmm. letting them know where, okay, this place is a good place to eat. Oh, this place is cool. You won't have any issues here. Because obviously we all know the, the, the stereotypes of Pekin. You know what I mean? Very much so. We, we've all heard <laughs> it at least once or twice. and. You know, I'm still alive, so obviously it's better than it was before. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's just a little bit, bit about me and uh, my culture. Hello, I am Michael Hurt, uh, Peoria native, president and CEO of Indigenous Protocol, and I am absolutely elated to be here. Uh, I was just kind of listening to the uh, the two previous gentlemen's, you know, talking about their experiences and stuff, and my experience is this, you know, um, I grew up 
in Peoria, Illinois, and I never really had experienced, I, I guess, what you would call discrimination or, you know, anything along those lines until I hired into a financial institution, of which I won't mention that name, but I was 20 years old. I hired in and I was on orientation and I heard a gentleman say in the background, hey, we got a new boy. I, I really altogether at 20 years old did not know what that meant, but I knew it, it didn't feel right in my stomach. I'm thinking, I'm not a boy. I'm not a boy. They hired me. But at the same time, um, I kind of felt like he needed to um, say that to differentiate me from him. That said, that's kind of where it began with me as far as experiencing um, you know, anything along those lines. and. The thing with that is I was blessed. There was there was a, a gentleman there that he just happened to be an African African American guy. And I, I remember I was twenty, he was probably, I don't know, fifty-five or sixty. And I remember I, I would get kind of nervous and and, and, and uh, I guess you would say intolerant. And he pulled me aside one day, he said he said, listen to me. He said, I, I want to tell you that. He said, you're hired here because you can do the job. He said, do not allow any words to, you know, knock you off your center. And from that day forward, he just kind of was my, you know, he covered me and, and taught me. And then as he moved on, he later became my boss. But as he retired and moved on, um, I started doing the same thing. And so that's kind of, that was kind of my, you know, uh, my pivotal moment, if you will, as it mm -hmm. relates to uh, race and that. So, but that said, I mean, I I, I I wake up every day, I look in the mirror and I say, hey, um, you know, I'm a man, I'm a guy, you know, and I, I, you know, and as you go out, when you leave your house, when I leave my house, you know, I'm a man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a guy that does things, I make moves, but I just happen to be black, you know, so, yeah. and so you, you, you have to kind of, uh, I can't sit here and lie to you and say, hey, I don't think about you know, when I see a police car pull up behind me, are they going to pull me over? Yes, I think about that a lot. But at the same time, uh, I try to concentrate more on what do you have to give and why are you here? Mm -hmm. And then that passes. So that is I and that is who I am. Well, if you've listened to the podcast uh, for any number of episodes, you probably heard a little bit about my story with who I am and where I come from. I was actually born here in Peoria, but I was raised in Galesburg, which for those that don't know, it's about 40 minutes west of Peoria, um, a small town. Um, oddly enough, though, a small town, predominantly white, of course, but with a large african-american and mexican population so the neighborhood that i grew up in was poor slash working class and it was pretty much equally white black and mexican and as a kid you know you're not taught to be racist i mean you're taught to be racist it's not a natural so growing up my friends were all race of all races and my best friend was mexican and i remember the very first time that I realized that my skin was even a different color. I was at her house and her mom had to help me because I had fallen and cut my back. And so she had to kind of lift up my shirt and put some salve on it or something. And she was like, oh, your skin is so beautiful. And I kind of didn't pay attention to what she said. And so she grabbed my little face and she pulled my face up to her. She was like, 
don't you ever, ever let anyone tell you that your skin is not beautiful. This is the most beautiful skin I've ever seen. I just, I was probably five. I just remember looking up at her and smiling. And I remember looking down at my arms and I looked at her and she was Mexican, but she was very fair skinned. Mm. And, you know, we just smiled at each other and it was just this beautiful but impactful moment. And she was like, don't ever forget that. And I didn't. So that was the first moment that I really even noticed that my skin was a different color than my other friends. It's not anything that I thought about. Um, The first time that I ever experienced anything that was remotely racist, believe it or not, in that small town, I had started working in a restaurant as a waitress. And I was the first black waitress or waiter that had ever worked in that particular restaurant. Um, there had been black staff there before, but they were either cooks or the, the cleaning staff. So I was the first white person that ever worked there. And it was just kind of alarming to me. I would have people that would move out of my section of the restaurant because they're like, oh, I'm not that N-word's not serving me. But oddly enough, and those were like regular patrons of this right. restaurant. Right. Oddly enough, over time, they got to know me and that barrier was broken. And we developed a great rapport over time. So it was a matter of them getting to know me and me getting to know them. So that was my first like blatant experience with it. But I mean, I was young. I was like 16. It was like my first official out job you know I'd done odds and ends around the house and babysat but that was my first official job so for that to be kind of like introduction was jarring to me because growing up in my household I was raised by my great-grandmother who was very religious and the particular religion that she was in she didn't deal with race issues at all I mean, I'm almost ashamed to say that she didn't even vote because to them, voting was being of the world. And one of their philosophies of their denominations was you're in the world, but you're not of the world. So they didn't deal with politics. I mean, I had to pull things out of her about what did you feel about with Dr. King? Did you ever meet him because she was from the South and things like that? And it was interesting when I had to pull those experiences out of her, but she never openly talked about race. She just didn't address it at all. So that's kind of my experience with race. And Alex, you kind of put your finger up. Um, I did just in general because, like I said before, I think it's that cultural thing, um, obviously, that we're, we're still fighting to get past um, as, as a society. And when you were, were mentioning working in a restaurant, the grandmother that I, I alluded to earlier who would give me books and would say, read, and let's talk about Dr. King, and what do you know you know, now about that? What have you learned? Her husband, my grandfather, was still that old school mentality of every black person is a bad black person. And it was, it was not necessarily a conversation that we had at the dinner table, but I remember very, very clearly when I was a little kid, and him talking about um, one of the guys that he rode to work with, and he worked at a, a factory job, and he was, my grandfather dropped out of high school, so I mean, he wasn't educated, he was, he was at a poverty level when he was a kid, um, and he worked blue collar, and he rode to work, and one of the gentlemen that rode with him was a black guy. And he was a good black guy, according to my grandfather, because, well, he knew that black guy. 
and it was the same situation that you kind of alluded to that people automatically walked into this restaurant and said oh, we don't want her we don't want to sit in that section at all and then as they got to know you they then said well well she's just like us we we definitely want her to take care of us because it's it's in that same vein and in that same mentality of of you know friendship and community and my grandfather is you know was a living example of that I, I don't know this black guy so he's clearly probably a thug or he's clearly a, a bad person and well do you have any black friends well this one and he's he's probably the best one I know well how many do you know and, you know and and how many do you know and he says well well just that one well it, the more that you talk to you'd be surprised what the other side of that coin looks like so but that definitely was a conversation that that I recall even as a young child that happened in front of my face just not knowing he automatically assumed a stereotype or he automatically assumed a behavior of someone because of how he was raised in that cultural divide and I think we've heard it once or twice before that someone that claims that they're not racist and they say I have a black friend <laughs> and, 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 and hey, how about that black hey is the key <laughs> word <laughs> and, and I have a black friend and, and that black friend probably was raised in Dunlap, Illinois yeah. where they yeah, never yeah, knew yeah. what a struggle is exactly. or they never knew exactly. you know what I'm saying exactly. so you know because like I said coming back to where I, I currently reside at in Pekin I've had my fair share of arguments the thing is yeah I'm Latino but I speak up for my black brothers mm -hmm. a lot you know what I'm saying and the thing is is, is and that's what we got to do. It, we can't just divide ourselves. All right, I'm Latino. He's black. He's white. That's not the case. But here. I think overall, though, I think there is a divide, even among no, there people is a divide. of color. Mm -hmm. And I understand it. I don't necessarily have an issue with it because I feel like different groups have different priorities so mm -hmm. to speak i know like with mexican americans and with a lot of people coming from uh latin countries that immigration might be a big issue for them whereas for someone like myself that's black i don't know if, if michael has an opinion or, or not it's like we i wholeheartedly feel for you what is going down at the southern border is absolutely racist it's disgusting Disgusting that we have people human beings in internment camps and like I shed tears I cried I prayed I'm like I was so upset but when it comes to me like activating it's like my focus also has to be on issues that affect black people like police brutality like almost every day I can like look online and there's a new case of some black person being executed on the spot and I think there's a genocidal aspect and component to that there's you know it, it goes you know this racism it can run so deep that people don't realize that there's a genocidal component to what is going on if someone's dead they can't procreate if someone's in prison they can't procreate so as a black person my focus kind of has to be singular in some ways on the issues that directly affect people that look like me although I have a heart and a soul and a love and a concern for what's going on with you you know what I mean so it's mm -hmm. like I can understand the divisions to a certain point because everyone has certain things that they have to be focused on and I think one big criticism that I have about the African-American community is that and, and Michael and I we can't speak for all black people but from my perspective as a group we are the least united we cannot come together 
around issues that affect us. Yep. And you know what? Even as a Latino, I see that as well. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> one of the things is, is that I noticed is that because I, I marched with Black Lives Matter when they came to Pure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was with them. I was holding hands with them. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I felt for them. Yeah. And the thing is, though, I did bring on to a lot of my, my black friends. And I'm like, man, like, you guys got to keep quit killing each other like you guys are against each other more than you know mm-hmm. what if you guys unite that's what they want they want you guys to keep killing each other they want you to have division between gangs and whatnot yeah and, the and, kkk and doesn't have to rear their ugly head no. and we're killing our no, own people no. No, that, that is correct yeah and, I, and, and, and i'm sorry not to cut you off oh, you're good, bro. i saw a um a post on um facebook i you know facebook and i saw a post on there and, and it was a black guy and he was he had on a t-shirt and on the back of his shirt he said if black lives matter, let's stop killing each other. Amen. So here's what I said. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I said. I said, the two issues are mutually exclusive because even though, yeah, black people need to work on their stuff and stop killing each other, it still does not de- negate the fact that cops are just smoking us. They're, they're two different issues. They're two different issues. They're yeah, both they important, but they issues. are mutually exclusive. You know, so you can't say, well, they're killing each other anyway. Take no, him out. Yeah. Take him out. Yeah. You can't say that. And, and and that's where I'm at. My, my biggest, you know, I, I, I know, what, what was this? What is this? Today is Saturday. Uh, I think it was Tuesday. I was just at a, at a four-way stop, and a police officer pulled up behind me. My mind is... Yeah. Whatever you're thinking about, it stops when that happens. Because he's probably running your plates. Let's yeah. see if he has a warrant. And I get that. I understand they're instructed to do that. At the same time, if you pull me over, please have probable cause. Mm-hmm. It's to the point now they don't even have PC. They just can pull you over. Mm-hmm. And then when they ask you for your license and registration, as you reach, they can pull the trigger and say, well, it's Not happened. Big. Yeah, it does happen. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of probable cause, and I've shared this story on my show before, and if you've heard it before, it's okay. I think it, it warrants repeating. Several years ago, this was even before Trayvon Martin, my husband and I had been grocery shopping, and we were parked. Now, keep in mind, we were parked in front of our house that we are purchasing as <laughs> yeah. homeowners. Yeah. And we were bringing in groceries. And my husband was, like, bent over the back seat, pulling some groceries out. I was on my porch. I had just walked up the porch. And this police officer comes up, you know, like, out of nowhere and, like, parks, like, in the middle of the road, like, right by where our car was. And so I remember looking back, and I didn't really think too much of it. So he gets out of the car and approaches my husband is like put your hands up on the car and so we're both my husband and I are looking at each other like uh what's going on here there was no moving violation we were parked right we're bringing in groceries right and so the officer is like and so I'm mouthy my husband isn't I call myself the mouth of the house so <laughs> I'm standing on my porch like uh-uh uh-uh what is going on here you have to be, have probable cause right. for this right. and he never once in that exchange gave us a reason as to what he was doing he right. demanded to see my husband's identification right. license all that and so my husband's like be quiet, honey. We're going to, you know, just let me do this. I'm like, I know my rights. So I'm up there talking <laughs> stuff. The officer tells me to shut the F up and go in the house if wow. I didn't want trouble. Okay. All right. 
And so, of course, I'm like, I've had my, I had my cell phone in my hand, but you know, this was like 12 years ago, so it was janky. There was no camera on it or anything. So I like whip out my little flip phone. I'm like, you know what? You're the police, but guess what? I'm calling the police on you. So I call 911 and I say, I've got a police officer here harassing me. And I was like, honey, what's his badge number? And I start in on that and he gets in his car and leaves. But the whole time he was approaching and interacting with my husband, he had his hand on his gun. And they wonder why we have such a psychological divide and psychological yeah. fear. Yeah, and that was crazy. And what was even worse about that experience is that I called the police station and demanded to talk to whoever the mm-hmm. desk sergeant was yeah, at the time. Of course. Yeah. And I was blown off. And in that moment, I felt kind of powerless. Like, yeah. wow, I had yeah. this awful experience happen to me. And I was just blown off. I felt like they were just saying, go somewhere and shut up. And for me, when I've, whenever in my life I've ever felt in that small space, powerless like that, I'm, I'm in denial. I'm shocked. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I can't do anything about this. I'm almost depressed. It's like I couldn't do anything better than this. But it's not me. It's the system. And, 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 and I totally, I totally get that. Yeah. Makes, makes all the sense in the world. So, Alex, what is your opinion about when you see these stories about people of color being shot by the police, uh, people that call the police on folks just for existing? I just saw just another story just this morning. It's like, talk about disturbing your peace and your happiness. This woman, it, it happened, I think, in New York or somewhere. It was, like, raining torrentially. And this woman, she had called an Uber. And so she had just stepped out of the street and was, like, in front of, like, a doorway. And it was a doorway leading into an apartment complex or whatever. And this woman calls the police on her just because she's standing there out of the rain right. <laughs> waiting for her Uber. She hadn't tried to enter the building or anything. And I'm like... This is ridiculous, and I take incidents like that personally because I feel like with things being somewhat shaky sometimes with the police, and I want to take this time to say not all police officers are bad. Fortunately, it's a small number, but it just gets magnified because of what's going on in our political climate. But to me, if you call the police on me, and especially if you call the police on me for nothing, in my mind, you're almost saying, I almost do you want me to get killed when the police get there Mm-mm. like what is the further motive of you calling the police it's an extension. just because yep. I'm black yep. so what do you think about that as a person that kind of can look at the situation from a perch of privilege in a sense that your experience is probably not going to be the same as ours Alex I was waiting for that word to get dropped the P word <laughs> thanks um, I think the best bow that I can surmise it up with is the fact that stupid comes in all shapes and colors and sizes. Um, and so stupid by definition, and I'm, I'm not trying to be insulting here, but stupid by definition is having the knowledge but not applying it. And it's those people who refuse to have those conversations, much like the officer that your husband had to deal with. And when they know they're in the wrong, then, then, then they escape the situation. Um, my daily life is at a domestic violence shelter. 
um, I work with kids. I go in schools and I talk with them about healthy relationships and just building up and understanding what bullying looks like and, and, and doing those things. And that's every single day for me. I mean, that that's my job. Pre-kindergarten through seniors in high school, I do professional trainings. I deal with adults are teaching our teachers to look at things like those adverse childhood effects and, and the way that, that they mold a life. And, and so sometimes when we're teaching individuals, we think, well, oh, they already have it. They already know it. And the sad part about it is, is that as adults, we don't challenge ourselves to think outside that box. Um, I think those individuals, um, I went to a school where um, the college that I went to was a predominant law enforcement school um, in, in the United States. It's top five in the United States for graduating people with law enforcement degrees. Western? And Western Illinois University. I was about to say, sounds like Western uh, to me. Indeed. <laughs> um, and going there, um, you know, you get an opportunity to see kind of the grassroots of where all of these individuals begin from. And I think that the police problem that we see is predominantly white just simply because um, that empathy lies within those Latino officers and it lies within those black officers. And sometimes your hands are tied when you get into a department type of setting because is your livelihood as an officer to provide for your family more important than the situation that you run up on sometimes and and it's I think it's tough I can't speak to not being one individually you know myself but but I mean you look at that that mob mentality also comes from the law enforcement side too and you say well well why didn't that guy speak up for someone who looks like him or who lives in his neighborhood and I think as a society and as a community we don't speak up enough for those people. We, we, we just don't do it. We're not ingrained to look at that empathy, to open that door and to say so. And then especially in a world where we're fighting through a recession and we're going into debt and things like you said, the political climate, you have to understand, all right, I'm making 40 grand a year. I'm making 50 grand a year. And as soon as I open my mouth, I'm making nothing a year. And it's a struggle because I came from poverty and I worked it up. And so that's why I think the minority police officers probably have that struggle within their own department sometimes. And then you look at the white side of the situation. That privilege, that that inherent privilege or power structure. Why are individuals in law enforcement? Probably a lot of times because they want to be in power. You look at domestic violence and you look at situations where individuals are supposedly loving and caring people in their own home. Abuse is about power and control. No matter what, whether it's child abuse, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's bullying, it's all about power and control. And so when you look at a 10-year-old, like I do every single day of my life at work, and say, hey, how can we be better? Let's step back when we're still that blank slate to some degree, where we can fine-tune that empathy and show that situation. And now you got to convince 40 and 50-year-old men with badges and with guns, hey, let's step back from that situation. And a one-time-a-year sensitivity training is not going to do it. And in a situation of, well, we, we learn from it because, you know, we did it once and, and, and well, we won't do it next time. But the problem is the one time that you did it, somebody's dead now. We, sh we shot him, but we'll learn next time. Now there's an investigation going on. I agree. And it yeah. definitely has to be a situation where you are proactive, not reactive. And unfortunately, we live in a world where we react to things instead of go out and march like Dr. King did. Like my friend over here said, making sure that even though I'm Latino, I know that people of color have an oppression against them. And so even though I'm Latino, I'm going to speak up for the other people of color because in the long run, that's where I'm going to benefit. You know, mm -hmm. we, we talked about, uh, Jatan and I have, have talked multiple times before, um, just to kind of jump back 
with the cultural aspect of things and that privilege that comes and you look at like the right to vote and and you know being considered a person even though you know as a black man you didn't have a right to vote nor were you even identified as a whole human being at one point in time in our recent history three-fifths and and then you know and and then and then women asked for the right to vote and then we're trying to bridge that pay gap and the thing about it was though it was white women who were asking for that right to vote and so gradually gradually after the women had that opportunity to say hey look privileged white males we have a voice because we're a person too then we started thinking less of the people of color and said okay you're not three-fifths anymore you're at least a whole person and so <laughs> it's I, I mean it's, it's an unfortunate aspect yeah. but yeah. it took the white person to say that it was okay before the person of color even had a voice to be 100% a person and and we still battle with that today I mean just removed a couple hundred years and it's a very very sad state of affairs to get back to your initial situation it's an ongoing process, and we have to not only look within ourselves, but look to other people to start that conversation so that we know how people want to be treated and respect them enough to treat them that way. So, you know, get your head out of your you know where and, and understand that if you want a good community, it has to start with actually a functioning community where we interact and do more together. I think where, I think where a lot of the time is wasted, and, and I was just thinking about this yesterday, is a certain race feels the need to oppress another race. What is that about? Why is there a disparity there? Why do you feel like you need to make this race less? Does that make you feel more? It's not. You're still here. If I'm here and I push something down, it's down, but I'm still here. You know, so, so, what what why is why is there a need to oppress anybody you know i think i think in turn yet again that goes back to the power and control when you are in a situation where you're the ceo of the company do you want somebody taking your job that guy that's in the mailroom he might have the the tools to do it but if you can keep him in the mailroom as long as you can keep your job then that's what you're going to do but that what what what's what that is indicative of is is that person's insecurity because the thing of it is and I listen to and, and not to get religious I, I listened to Bishop Jakes one time and here's what he said he said you know if your hand is closed you're not and I'm going to paraphrase if your hand is closed you're not going to be blessed however if you keep it open you know and currency hits your hand and you keep it open it's called currency because it has a current so the thing of it is I can't be better if I'm spending any energy at all trying to hold you back I am holding myself back what you put out into the universe will come back it's going to come back some people call it you know karma whatever it's going to come back so th- so the thing of it is you know if, if you're you're fearful that your job or your position your vocation your status is going to be in any way um, you know hindered or, or put put lower than you want it to be then that is an that is an indication that you are insecure and you're not doing what you should do speaking of uh, insecurity this is something that I've heard especially in this Trump time that we're living in and, and people talking about racism and racist ideology and uh, that there's this fear within some Caucasians that their numbers are lessening um, and that actually is true because in preparing for yeah. this show I was looking at the at the census and uh, the birth rates 
for Caucasians is the lowest. Right. Uh, the second lowest actually is African Americans. Well, no, we're like third lowest. I think Asians are the next lowest than African Americans, and then the the most growing population is among the Latino community. And so I just wonder: is there some sort of fear of not being number one? Fear of becoming a minority? And I think that's even a question that that black people have the conversation about because I think sometimes the divide between the black community and the Latino community is that some black people look at Latinos like, you guys are coming here taking our jobs. Right. You know, and you guys are now the number one minority. We're now the second minority. So our seat at the table has grown smaller. Yeah. So I think sometimes even among people of color, there can be that those I don't want to call them insecurities. I don't know even what the word is. And I hope it's not that. It's just I think a, a but lot that of people. Some people feel that though. Yeah. And I hope you know. I hope it's just and not to bash any culture or anything like that. But generally, Mexicans do the jobs no one wants to do. True. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 I concur. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I have to say it. People I'm come not over there from from, from Tijuana, Mexico, the most mm-hmm. violent. It's crazy. Tijuana is is a murder capital of the whole world. There's literally more murders in that area than there is in Iraq right now. But you don't hear that. No, you, you don't. don't. You don't talk hear about that. that. But you so, are correct. So so people don't want to talk about that. They're like, why why are they coming over here? What do you think to escape their their escape the area? What? Why? Why? Oh, why can't their government help them? Because the government is held down by the cartel. They're corrupt. You know, yeah. and, and people don't understand that. They're like, dude, it, psychologically, there is something that triggers when you need to survive, and and it's mm-hmm. something that will block. I, I'm, I sound very uneducated right now. It's been a while that I've talked about the brain, but there's something that triggers yourself that that you tell, okay, I'm gonna do what I need to do to survive. I know mm-hmm. what it takes. Oh, there's a country down the street. But that's that, the same thing yeah. that the Irish and the Italians and the Germans and yes, everyone else correct. that came here. And there's here. only yeah. an issue. Yeah. The yeah. only yeah. group that's here, there's only two groups of people in the United States that are not immigrants. Number one, Native Americans, because they were here first. Right. They don't and understand second, that. And second, black folks were not immigrants. We were brought here. Brought we, here. We didn't come here by choice. So please, when it comes to the right. immigration debate, the only people that look like me that are immigrants are right. the people that have actually, since slavery, came here by choice from the right. motherland. And and even though, even <laughs> though I gotta say this, even though we're in 2018, there's still a mindset within certain communities that you're black, you're not even supposed to make it, you're not even supposed to be here. My thing is, are you kidding me? We made America, not by ourselves, but we, you know, that fabric of America that people talk about, we we helped sew that. I'm saying, you know, you name it. It, it. Literally, like 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 when I say on our backs, I'm saying literally. And the thing of it is, I think some people um I remember when I worked for a company here in Peoria that was a really big company I interviewed for a supervisor's position and I didn't get the spot and that's okay but I later understood why I didn't get it it's because I refused to um, succumb fold and become just the guy who just does what he's told to do now don't get me wrong you are you are supposed to do what you're supposed to do but at the same time 
I'm still going to be who I am. And ah, that doesn't fit our structure. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know. So there's there's so many different ways that you can hold a person back or not bring a person on board when actually this country would be great if they would embrace the diversity that is there. We're going to have to take a pause right there, but please come back next week as we continue our discussion with our wonderful panel. So once again, I want to thank Michael Hurt, Alex Larson, and Ruben Ramirez for being absolutely open and just wonderful as part of this discussion. If you want to join the conversation, please feel free to do so. Hit my Facebook page, Get Happy With Jay. Like the page. You can make comments there. We'll be sure and respond to you. You can also go to the website, GetHappyWithJay.com, where you can comment. You can also listen to the podcast there as well. We can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Podcasts, and in another week or so, we are going to be added to Spotify. So thankfully, we are able to grow this platform and make it accessible to even more people. So subscribe, review. Until next week, do something to make yourself happy. It's not selfish. It's self-care. And please, by all means, continue this conversation. 